We're going to read verse 13 down through verse number 16. And we'll see two illustrations or two parables that Jesus gives us in this passage of Scripture. Uh, verse number 13. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light candle, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Father, I ask that you would help us over these next few minutes. Lord, bless us as we read and preach and study from your word. We ask in your name and amen. When we come to Matthew chapter number 5, we are on the mount with Jesus and his followers. Uh, of course, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And on this mount, Jesus is teaching um, several things. He teaches his followers uh, about things like giving and praying, and fasting. He talks to them about things like lust, and anger, and judgment. Um, but the sermon begins with a very practical uh, set of instructions. They are what you and I refer to as the Beatitudes. Uh, they are sermons or small lessons that Jesus gives us about our attitude. Each of these attitudes gives us a blessing if we keep them. Jesus says that we are blessed if we are poor in spirit. Uh, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. And each one of these verses tells us what it is that God wants us as believers to be. We are truly blessed if we have our attitude right. We are truly blessed if we are doing these things. As a way to sum up all of these attitudes, Jesus gives us two short parables. They are the parable of salt and the parable of light. Jesus is saying in the parable of salt and the parable of light that the reason it is so important for us to have our attitude right is because we are the salt of the world and we are the light of the world. If the world is going to see Jesus, it's going to see Jesus in us. And if the world's going to see Jesus in us, we better have our attitude right. Through the Word of God, we are given many different names and illustrations and descriptive terms that tell us something about the character and the attributes of God. I've mentioned to you as we studied in the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings how Jesus has made those great I Am statements. In descriptive terms, he said, I am, I am water, or I am bread. I am, you know, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And in each one of those things, we understand something about the attributes of God, who God is. Well, in each of these beatitudes, Jesus is telling us who he wants us to be. Uh, the child of God is to have the right attitude in this world uh, because we are salt and light. Well, having said that, let me preach for just a minute on the thought, the parable of salt and light. The parable of salt and light. Let me show you three things 
I will not be before you long. First of all, I want you to notice the teachings in the parable. The teachings in the parable. Look at verse 16. Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, normally I try to start at the beginning of a text and move my way to the end. But tonight I want to start at the end and work the way toward the beginning. Jesus says in verse 16, The reason that it is important to be salt and light is so that men can see your good works and by seeing your good works, they can glorify your Father. The reason that we have the correct attitude is so Christ can be seen in us and God can be glorified in what is seen in our lives. Now, a lot of people are really concerned today about their identity. A lot of people are trying to find who they are. They want to be viewed in a certain way. And some people find their identity in the way they dress or maybe the way they color their hair. Uh, you see somebody and they're dressed all in black and they've got their hair dyed black. They're trying to identify. They want to be gothic. They, you know, they want to be seen that way. Or somebody might, uh, you know, they might have on blue jeans with holes in them and worn out cowboy boots and a flannel shirt and a cowboy hat. They want to be identified in a certain way. Probably have a skull ring in their back pocket, you know. They want to be maybe even a mullet if they're really committed to it. But uh, they want to be identified, known in a certain way. Other people are identified by their jobs. Their job is their identity or their career. Their career is their identity. Some people are identified with their groups of friends. Maybe they want to be identified with a certain a clique or a certain group. You know, Some people are identified by the color of their skin or what state they were born in or what political party they're tied to. But the child of God should find their identity in their walk with Jesus Christ. The way we act, the things we say, the way we display love should be our identity. Our identity is not found in the things of this world, but our identity is found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We should be known first and foremost as believers. We should be known to this world first and foremost as the children of light and the children of salt. We should be a representative of Jesus Christ. Jesus says our identity is the identity of salt and light. Now, I know salt and light probably don't, doesn't mean a lot to us, but to these people it meant a whole lot. I thought about it this way. Prior to somewhere around 1800, the only way that you could keep meat good without rotting and going bad was to rub it in salt. Uh, today, if we want something um, to eat. We go to our freezer and we get out that meat from our freezer and we let it thaw and then we cook it that night. That's the way that we keep things good. But years ago you didn't have a freezer in the home uh, and if you wanted something to eat you went out to the storehouse and you cut a slice of meat off that, uh, that piece of meat, that salted meat that was there in the storehouse. Salt was a preservative and it kept things from going bad. In Bible days, salt spoke of durability, it spoke of performance, and it spoke of incorruptibility. Salt preserved things and stopped them from rotting and turning bad. Now, one of the highest callings of the church is to be a preserving agent inside of this world. The world we are living in is rotting. 
The world we are living in is turning bad. Uh, one simply has to look around them and they see all the, the, the immorality and the, the corruption that is in our world. The world is spooled and it is rotting quickly right before our eyes. Therefore, it is up to us to be a force of truth, to be a force of righteousness, to be a force of integrity, to be a force of honesty, to be a force of clean living. We should be the preserving agent in this world. There needs to be something about the church and the church folk that hold off sin. Amen? That's right. The world must stand in contrast. Of the, of the church must stand in contrast to the nastiness that's in this world. Now, I realize I am, I am not beyond uh, normal living. I go to a job every day like you do. And there are people on the job that they are just, some of them, you run into them and they are filthy, are they not? You're just going to meet some of them and they have no filter, they say things, they act certain ways, they tell certain stories. But, but, but in light of that, you must be the exact opposite. You must be the one that doesn't listen to the dirty joke, doesn't tell the nasty story, doesn't use the four-letter word, that instead prays over your lunch and invites your co-worker to church with you and tries to share Christ when you've given the opportunity. We must be the preserving agent in this world. If we act like they act, then how are we going to be salt and how are we going to be light? We have got to be different, absolutely got to be different. Light is just as equally as important. A candle or a light uh, was used in the homes. Palestinian homes were typically very dark. And a candle or a light was the only light source that they had. Uh, they did not have flashlights. They did not have headlights on their camels. And so if they went out at night and they were traveling on a path, the only way to keep them from tripping, the only way to keep them from danger was to have a light with them, a candle, a, some sort of a light, a lamp. Jesus said, or John said of Jesus in John chapter number 1, that when Jesus came into this world, He was the light of the world. When He entered the world, He was a bright light shining forth. Now, unfortunately, John said that the world was so steeped in darkness, they rejected the light because they loved their darkness. But yet Jesus let His light shine. Well, Jesus isn't in the world today, but you and I, we are in the world today. And in this darkness, we must show them the path. We must show them the way. We must keep, the, keep ourselves from harm and danger. And that is by letting our light shine in this world. The world is dark in sin. The world is dark with suffering. The world is dark with sorrow. And we have to show them a better way. We are light. Well, you and I are the fulfillment of these promises to the world. The Lord, like I said, is no longer here. And so if the world is going to see the Lord, they're going to see it in us. The world needs to know that God loves them. They need to see that in us. The world needs to know that God is long-suffering. They need to see us being long-suffering. The world needs to see that God is forgiving. We, we must be forgiving. I would guess, and, and maybe this is not true, but I, I would guess this is a pretty good bet. I, I, my guess would be that before you were saved, somebody was salt and light in your life. There was somebody in your life 
that let Christ be seen. They, they showed you the way to Christ. For me, it was one of my greatest lights was my, my grandfather. He, he was an old-fashioned Sunday school teacher. He was a man of God and is a man of God. I believe that he loves the Lord. I believe that he talks to the Lord. Uh, if I need somebody to pray, I'm still calling my papa. He, I, I believe that, that, that heaven is a local call from my papa's house. I believe that. But he was a light in my life, and, and I saw Christ in him. I was, thinking about, I was thinking about, I guess, my first pastor, Brother Hubert Troutman, that's with, that's with the Lord tonight. I was thinking about him this morning. I was listening to some, some music as I was getting ready, and they were talking about a song about the preacher. And I thought about that preacher that exposed me to Jesus Christ. He was a light in my life, and he was salt in my life. He put something inside of me that made me hungry for the things of God. And I am here doing what I am doing because somebody let their light shine in my life. We teach the little children to sing the song, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no. Oh, I'm going to let it shine. But that ought to be all of our mantra. We ought to sing that. We ought to do that. We ought to live that. Let our light shine. You see, the, before the world can understand John 3.16, we know John 3.16, it says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. They need to know that, but they're only going to know it if they see it in you. Before they can understand 2 Peter 3, 9, that says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. They need to know that, but they've got to see that in us. The way they're going to see that is, is by the instructions of Paul. Paul said in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, Let your speech be with, always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Our speech, the words that come out of our mouth, the life that we live, must be filled with grace and seasoned with salt so that they can see Christ in us. Someone will say, well, pastor, it's a big world. I don't know that I could reach the world. I read a statistic this week. Uh, did you know that, that the majority of salt water, you go to the ocean, and you, you, ever, you ever got taken under by a wave and got a big mouthful, and usually it's not just a mouthful, it goes up through your sinuses and out your nose, and out your ears, you got salt water coming out your eyeballs, and you're just burning all over. But did you know that most oceans contain only 3% salt? The rest of it's H2O, baby, just 3% salt. But that 3% salt makes a big difference, doesn't it? And you say, it's a big world, and I'm just a one Christian. Yes, you are. But your small percentage can make a big impact in the people that you come in contact with. Same with a small light bulb. You go into a dark room and just take one little light bulb and screw it in. And it lights up the whole room. The same is true with the child of God. Okay, so I see the teachings of the parable. Number two, I see the timing of the parable. The timing of the parable. Now watch this. Jesus says in Matthew 5 verse 10, Blessed are ye which are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs are the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so 
persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now this is difficult. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. This is difficult. Jesus has been teaching about the pure in heart, the hungry for righteousness, the peacemakers. And those things are tough. But then it comes to verse 10 through verse 12, and he says, Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those that are trying to do right, and they're persecuted for it. In fact, Jesus says, You are blessed when they revile you, when they speak evil against you, when they persecute you. When these things happen, rejoice, because you know there's a reward waiting for you in heaven. Now let me say a couple of things. Let me say this. First of all, let me say that trouble should be expected. The reality is that we are at odds with the world. We think different than the world. We act different than the world. We believe different than the world. In fact, if we are salt and if we are light, then that means we are going to be different. Paul said to Titus in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and following, he said, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Paul said, Titus, if we are living right, we are different. You can't look like the world and be salt and light. We are different. And if we are different, trouble is to be expected. Now, let me say this secondly. In the face of persecution, we must continue to let our light shine. It was after Jesus said, Blessed are you when you're persecuted, that He said, Oh, by the way, I want you to be salt and light. It is after He said, They're going to revile you, they're going to hate you, they're going to persecute you, that He said, In spite of all that, be salt and light. Do you know the reason that most people are not salt and light? Do you know the reason that most people do not stand out as being different from the world? Because it's easier to just do what the world does because there's no backlash in that. There's no whispers, there's no funny looks, there's no threat of embarrassment if we just do and go along with what everybody else is doing. But Jesus said you can't take a lot and hide it under a bushel. You can't do that. You can't hide a lot under a bushel, but that's what so many Christians are doing. We come to church and we take our bushel off and oh, we love Jesus. You know, we're, 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 God is a mighty God. You know, we all, everybody loves Jesus on Sunday. But then we get up on Monday and we put our bushel back over our lot and go the rest of the week with our bushel on. But Jesus said you can't do that. You can't, you can't hide your lot. The same thing with the salt. You can't let your salt get contaminated. You can't let your salt become unsavory. The world may not agree with you, but the world didn't agree with Jesus. The world may hate you, but the world hated Jesus. The world may even persecute you, but don't forget they crucified Jesus. We must be salt and light in this wicked world. The timing is this. In the midst of wickedness, be salt and light. And then last of all, I see the trouble in the parable. The trouble in the parable. Verse 13, 
You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewithal shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. It giveth light to all that are in the house. Jesus tells us that when salt becomes unsavory, it is good for nothing. The only thing that it's good for is being cast into the street. You couldn't throw it into a field because it would kill your crops. So you throw it into the street. So it's trodden under the foot of men. It is unsavory. It is good for nothing. I could say it this way. It's unusable. So it's no good. I would hate to think that I allowed my life to become so unusable that God considered me good for nothing. In fact, some have become so unusable, they've actually become dangerous. Again, if you take that salt and you cast it on the grass or you cast it in your field, nothing's ever growing there again. It's going to kill that piece of ground. That's, again, why you cast it in the street to be trapped under the foot of men. But some are so unuseful, they're not only... They're not only good for nothing, but they're dangerous. In like manner, we can't cover our lights. We must let our light shine so that the world can see us. The parable of the candlestick. The parable of the candlestick, Jesus actually tells that parable in three different passages of Scripture. Um, I think it was one of his favorite illustrations. He was the light and he wanted us to be the light. And so he used that illustration often. But, but in the other, the other three instances where Jesus uses this illustration of the candle, in two of them, he says the same thing. As soon as he gives the parable, let your light shine. As soon as he finishes in two of them, he says this. I'll just give you the reading in Luke 8. He says in Luke 8, 18, Take heed, therefore, how you hear. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not from him shall it be taken, even that which he seemeth to have. He said in verse 18, Take heed how you hear. He says that twice. He says this once after giving the parable of the candlestick. This time it's in Luke 11, verse 34. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body is full of light. But when thy eye is evil, thy whole body is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If the whole body were therefore full of light, having no part of, the, uh, no part of dark, the whole shall be full of light. As when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. So, here's, here's what he's saying. In this day, a candle was usually a clay dish that was filled up with oil that had a wick in it. And the wick was powerless on its own. But as it absorbed the oil that was in that clay dish, it would burn. It was crucial for the wick to absorb the right things so that it could let its light burn. Jesus therefore says to His disciples, it is equally as important to make sure you don't absorb the wrong things. He said twice after saying you're the light of the world, twice he said make sure you 
are paying attention to what you're listening to. And once he said, make sure you pay attention to what you're looking at. Oh, be careful little ears what you hear. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful little eyes and ears. It is equally important that we make sure we are taking in the right things through our eyes and ears. Because what we take in affects the light that we burn. It would be a shame to start out as a light-bearing Christian and at some time let your light fade into darkness. That's what Jesus warned in Luke 11. If you don't pay attention to what comes in your eyes, He said, he said if, if your whole body is not light, He said, then darkness will overtake you. We think about Samson. Samson started so great, didn't he? In fact, do you know what the name Samson means? It it literally means sunny. He was a bright light in a dark world. He started out so great as that angel gave Manoah and his wife that promise of a child when they weren't able to have children. And Samson was such a bright light, but Samson let darkness into his life, did he not? And the man whose name literally means sunny died in darkness having his eyes plucked out. You think about Lot. Lot could not have had a greater light in his life than Uncle Abraham. Abraham was the first father of the Jewish nation. He was the man of faith. Paul used him over and over again in the New Testament as an example of faith. You couldn't have had better witness in your life than Abraham. But the Bible says that Lot's life ends in a dark cave doing unspeakable things with his two daughters. He started with such great light and ended in darkness. You think about Saul, Saul the first king of Israel. Saul was giving the, given the blessing of, uh, of, of a visit from Samuel as being anointed as the king. and He had such great potential, but he let darkness into his life. And the story that sums up the end of his life is him sitting in darkness with a witch at the door. As she's doing seances and calling Samuel back up from the grave. Started with such great light, but ended with such great darkness. Therefore, you and I must see these examples and hear the warnings of Christ and guard our ears and guard our eyes. Because what we take in affects the light that we burn. Finally, we must be careful not to let the the world harden us. You see, it's not just what we take in when he gives us those illustrations of the candle, but it's what we allow to take place around us in that illustration of the salt. He said, if the salt has lost its savor, there are three kinds of salt. I don't, I don't have time for all of this. The, the first one we're most familiar with, it's called table salt. You probably all have it in your house. You might have a packet of it in the glove box of your car table salt the the uh the other uh second most common is is called sea salt sea salt isn't as pure as table salt but it's still 83 percent pure so the likelihood of table salt or sea salt becoming unsavory or unsalty is pretty unlikely but the third kind is what these people were most familiar with and it's what's called rock salt 
In the Middle East, they, they were more familiar with rock salt that grew in the marshes on the seashores or on the, on, on the salt lakes, and they would dry in the hot summer months and, and become salt. But this is what would happen. If, if that, that rock salt was out in the sun for a long enough period of time and that sun baked it, it would literally bake it into being useless. And you could go by with your hands and it would just crumble and, and become unusable. You see, enough rain and enough heat and enough wind would cause it to crust over and be unusable. There are some Christians that have allowed the rain and the wind and the storms of life, the heat of certain situations to make them unsavory. You see, it's not always sin and wrong that causes people to grow out of fellowship with God. In fact, in my 20 plus years of being a believer, most of the time it has not been sin and wickedness that has caused me to lose fellowship with the Lord. And there's been more times than I care to admit that I've lost that fellowship. There are some people that are living clean, coming to church, teaching a Sunday school class, doing all the right things, and yet they have no relationship with God. The heat and the pressure have caused them to be unsavory. Paul worried about that. He was the great apostle to the Gentiles. Wrote most of our New Testament, but Paul worried about that in his own life. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection lest by any means when I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul said it is possible. I realize Paul sensed something inside of him. <coughs> Paul said I sense something inside of me that if I don't watch out at the same time I'm preaching to you, I can be distant from God inside of me. Paul says in Galatians 6, 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. How many times have we heard that? But how often have we just got tired? You see, sometimes our light can flicker. Our light can become dim because we're seeing and taking in the wrong things. Sometimes it's not taking in the wrong thing. Sometimes it's just living life. And if we're not careful, living life can cause us to become hard in our Christianity. And we're no longer savory. We're no longer salt. We're no longer letting our light shine. And it's not because we're in wickedness. It's just because we're too tired to let it shine. I believe it would be good for all of us from time to time to do a personal checkup. To trim our wicks. To test our salt. Say, how is it with me? How is it in my life? Am I the lot that I should be? Am I salty as I should be? Or have I, while working become unusable we're going to have a moment of invitation
Let's don't have a song tonight. Let's just have a moment.